Hello and welcome to Everyone Everywhere, the evangelism podcast brought to you by Church Army. Today we're talking with Andrina and V about the Black Lives Matter movement and why as Christians it's important for us to engage with conversations about racism and take action too. Andrina and V are both black women who are part of Church Army's community and we are so grateful that they are up for having this conversation with me, Hannah, and with you, our podcast listeners. As I said, I'm Hannah and I'm joined by Chris and this is Everyone Everywhere, part one of our Black Lives Matter episodes. So every now and then something happens somewhere that has repercussions throughout the entire globe. This has been an unusual year because we've experienced more than one event of global magnitude. First coronavirus hit the world in January, but in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, what a time for a call to mass mobilization on such an important issue like race. Now, on the 25th of May this year, an event happened in America which sent a wave of reaction around the world. And in many ways, seeing that incident with George Floyd on camera was an eye-opener for a lot of people. A lot of people, a lot of white people, and everyone, myself included, has to be honest with ourselves about where white privilege has played a part in our lives um, and where that maybe has been sitting in our blind spot. And Church Army as an organization known for being unconditional wants to be at the forefront of that. So we're stoked to have Andrina Palmer and V Pinto on the show with us today who are going to share some of their personal experiences of race and being black in Christian ministry. Before we dive into that chat with V and Andrina, we just wanted to say a few things. Some of you may have seen pictures of Hannah and I on social media or church army emails or met us in real life. But for those of you who haven't, both Hannah and I are white. This means our experiences are obviously different from V and Andrina's. But this is also why we thought it was so important to chat to Andrina and V and hear their perspective of being black and Christian. Everyone everywhere has a range of listeners. We know that some of you are old and wise, some of you are young and bright, uh, different genders, all located around the UK and Ireland and maybe even further. Something we can't find out from our podcast stats and analytics, obviously, is race. But undoubtedly, we hope there are also a range of people from different ethnicities listening. So on with the episode. Now we're still Zooming our podcasts. We're not back in the studio. So... Andrina, starting with you, why don't you just tell us who you are, where you're Zooming from today and what you do. So I'm Andrina Palmer. I am in Hackney in East London. It is a beautiful sunny day and I am the pioneer evangelist for the Hackney Centre of Mission. Amazing. It's so good to have you with us digitally. It actually seems like an age ago that I came to visit you in Hackney and it was only really at the end of last year. Yes, yes, but fond memories of that time. Very fond memories. And V, who are you? What do you do? And where are you coming from today? Yes, thank you, Chris. Um, so my name is Vanessa. But I'm also known as V and I'm currently training with Church Army and I work as intercultural pioneer minister in Leicester Diocese. But at the moment, as we, as we speak, I'm actually in London with family. Amazing. Well, it's great to have both of you on the show. And while we're talking about where we're calling from, I was a few minutes just before this uh, set up on my house landing right by the stairs, but that was not really the best place 
for a podcast. There were kids running around, the door knocking, and every time someone goes up and down the stairs, it creaks. So I've moved down somewhere a little bit quieter. I'm also in Sheffield. I'm up in my attic bedroom, hidden away from everyone. So mine's a bit quieter than Chris's location. But yeah, I've been chatting to V and Andrina a little bit already because we've been working on a couple of things to do with racism and the Black Lives Matter movement. So I just wanted to share with you before we get into chatting with those guys about those things that we've made, because I'm, I'm really excited about them. So Andrina has written an absolutely wonderful blog on her experience of racism and Christian ministry. It is a really insightful and honest account of her experience and I think it's just so important to hear voices like Andrina's so I would encourage you to check that out at churcharmy.org forward slash blog. We've also, V, Andrina and I have been working on a video. We wanted to share a bit of their experiences of racism but in a kind of more creative way so we're just going to hear a clip from that now. I like braids. Sometimes I wear a wig, I wear a weave, Sometimes I have garner braids, but whatever I do, you can't touch my hair. I love public speaking, and I usually get complimented on how good my English is. I never quite understand that. So yeah, personally, I think this is a fantastically challenging piece, putting together starkly their experiences of racism with who they are. Um, I'd, I'd suggest you go and watch the full version, which we will put the link in our show notes. So, V and Andrina, hi. Oh, it is hello. <laughs> So great to have you here. So hard not to speak over each other in something like this. Um, as I'm sure our listeners know from their multiple video conferencing calls that they've had, both in work and personal lives. So we want to start by looking at what is the Black Lives Matter movement? Because it's a bit of a confusing term, to be honest. So V, I don't know if you can talk to us to start with about what this Black Lives Matter movement, what does this word mean to you? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the question. Um, I think, it, Hannah, it's, it's such a powerful question. And for me, um, I've been reading lots of unhelpful articles that try to describe what the Black Lives Matter movement is all about. And for me, the Black Lives Matter um, has become an important statement phrase for many following the death of an African-American man called George Floyd. But it was actually first um, used widely back in 2013 after the death of Trayvon Martin, who was a 17-year-old African-American killed by George Zimmerman. Um, George Zimmerman was a neighborhood watch volunteer, and he did not face any punishment for what he did. So lots of people took part in the protests following Trayvon's death, and many turned to social media to speak out against what had happened. You know, they felt upset about the injustice that was taking place in America. And also that the lives of black people did not have the same value as other people's lives. So this led to the birth of the hashtag Black Lives Matter. 
So, you know, the movement of um, Black Lives Matter was established in reaction to the murder by police officers of black people in the USA in much higher numbers than white people. So it is a movement for equality and against racism. But for me, the Black Lives Matter movement is very important because it's actually highlighting that as a result of slavery and colonism, racism still affects many black people today. Mm. And sometimes um, racism is you know, shown in very subtle ways through microaggressions. Mm. And it's only those on the receiving ends that recognize it. So for me, the Black Lives Matter movement is also very important because it's highlighting to society that black people are just as valuable, valuable and important. And we need to celebrate the voices of black people and learn from them. Absolutely. Thank you, V. That's really actually helpful to hear that background as well, not just how it is today, what's happening now, but to know where that phrase came from. Andrina, I don't know if you have anything to add about how you see the movement. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Hannah. And thank you, V, for, for that brilliant introduction and, and your explanation of it. And for me, it's not okay. It's not okay that black people are nine times more likely to be stopped and searched. It's not okay that BAME people make up 25% of the prison population, 50% in young offenders institutions. It's not okay that black people are twice as likely to die in police custody, more likely to have type 2 diabetes. Black men are more likely to have prostate cancer. Young black men are six times more likely than white men to be sectioned for compulsory treatment under the Mental Health Act. And this is all in the current context of a global pandemic where black people are four times more likely to die. I'm really hoping that this will be a movement and not just a moment. And I'm so grateful that Church Army has given us the space and time and the encouragement to speak this out. This is our truth. And many of us, I'm sure V would agree, we've been quiet for far too long. I love that phrase that is saying that this is a movement and not a moment. I think that is crucial for change to happen, really. But I'm also aware that there are a lot of people saying that they think the slogan ought to be all lives matter. And I think it's quite frustrating actually hearing that. But also, I think a lot of people don't understand why that is a problem. So I was wondering if one of you could talk to us about why using the phrase all lives matter is an issue. I saw a great banner which says, yes, all lives matter, but we're focused on the black ones right now, okay? And I think it's really important to recognize that. Black lives matter is not saying that white lives don't matter. And saying all lives matter is detracting from my concerns about structural racism and the racist violence that we saw in the USA. And also in the UK, we are seeing more of at the moment. Absolutely. I think a really important cartoon that I saw that helped explain this, it was talking about how someone's house was on fire and their neighbour said, why is the fire brigade not coming to me? Doesn't my house matter? And the cartoon goes on to say, well, yes, of course your house matters, but your house isn't on fire. That's why the fire brigade is coming to the house that's on fire. And I think that was, for me, a really helpful way to explain it. 
V, did you want to add anything to that? Yes, it's actually very frustrating when I hear people say, well, all lives matter. Because, um, yes, I do believe that all lives matter. But the issue is, is that white lives have always seemed to matter more. Mm. And um, a really helpful um, analogy that I always like to draw on is the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15. So um, I particularly love um, verse four, which says this, which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And so most of us are familiar with this parable. You know how Christ is the great shepherd and he will leave the 99 in order to find the one sheep who is lost. Now, this does not mean that Christ does not care for the other 99. Christ cares for all of the sheep. But it does mean that sometimes it is necessary to give special care and attention to the one sheep who has been lost. And so as Christians, when we hear the phrase black lives matter, this does not deny that all lives matter. Rather, it means it is necessary to give special care and attention to the injustices that black people face, not only in this country, but across the world. Those verses are incredible just to bring that out, really. Now, V and Andrina, we've talked a bit before about some of your experiences of racism um, and your video brings some of that out as well as your blog, Andrina. And that's that's really helpful to hear, um, particularly as a white person myself, to hear your voices and experiences because clearly that is not something that I experience. So I was hoping that you could draw out a couple of those experiences on the podcast today that you're happy to talk about just to help people understand what it is that you guys have to deal with basically yes um well it's, it's an interesting question and as I'm sharing as I'm going to be sharing my experiences of racism I feel like I'm reliving trauma mm-hmm. um my first experience of direct racism was when I was between I think I was seven or eight years old Um, I remember walking back from school with my older sister and this took place in the Netherlands and a neighbor of ours, um, she was white, a couple of years older than me. And she shouted, here comes the Bukus. So Buku was a slang term, which means African slaves. So in essence, she was actually shouting, here comes the African slaves. That really, really upset me. And that girl probably doesn't remember what she said, but I do. Um, I remember um, a couple of years ago, I went to a Christian retreat center here in the UK. An elderly white lady approached me and during our conversation, she said, you know, you don't really look African. And I said, okay, why is that? She then responded and I was utterly shocked. She said, well, because you have small facial features, You don't really have big lips and you don't have a wide nose. Um, Again, I was utterly shocked to hear that. And I didn't really know how to respond to that. And I was just completely lost for words. Um, So those have been my direct experiences of racism. But I've also experienced um, more subtle forms of racism. I was I was watching um, a particular um, podcast by actor Samuel L. Jackson. And he said... People know about the Ku Klux Klan 
and they know, they know about direct racism, but the killing of one's soul, little by little, day after day, can be a lot worse. And so Jackson was actually summarizing that the serious consequences of racial microaggressions on a daily basis can have a huge negative impact on people's lives. And again, I've experienced racial microaggressions. Um, sometimes it's daily. I think, unfortunately, whenever I've spoken to people of colour, hearing that that is a common thing, those microaggressions mm. that chip away, and it's just not okay. And Andrina, you've had similar experiences, haven't you? Yeah, well, being called the N-word is one thing, but they, the microaggressions, the stereotypes, and the ignorant comments do worry. And some of the things that I've experienced in my childhood, in my teens, possibly in my 20s, could have been seen as normal and banter, but now they're, they're seen as inappropriate. I mean, I have seen people show surprise when I've told them that my parents were married. And um, yes, I do have a dad. I remember someone describing me as as black as the ace of spades, but then added to the description, oh, but she is lovely. I remember someone mixing me up with a friend, simple enough to do, except my friend was eight months pregnant at the time. And the person said, well, they all look the same. I've seen shock on people's faces when I've turned up for job interviews. I was clearly not what they were expecting. And what you can't see on the podcast is how our faces are reacting right now. We're just shock and how is this what what is reality? But and we don't we don't share these experiences because we want to complain about them, but because they are people's reality there your realities, Andrina and V. And it's important that we highlight that because if we want change, we've got to know what the situation is now in order to go beyond that. I think another important thing I really want to chat to you about is this thing of intersectionality because you guys are both black and you're both women as well. And so the idea of intersectionality is that when two different social or political identities cross over, it creates a unique experience of discrimination or privilege. And so for you guys, you've got that being marginalized because you're black, being marginalized potentially because you're a woman as well. I was wondering if you could touch on that as well. Yeah, it was really unfortunate for me one day when a male pastor advised me to apply for ordained ministry because you're the type they want. There are still racial and gender gaps in wealth and in the lack of representation in black role models in senior positions. And some people say that they're colorblind and don't see gender, but therefore forget that as a woman who is both black and female, I can be subject to discrimination on the basis of both race and gender. And often I feel a combination of both. Yes, I was reminded of something. I think it was Andrea, you posted something on Facebook, um, which I think was quoted in Theology Slam. And um, what you had shared was really powerful. Um, It was a quote which said, as a black woman in ministry, I am often invited to the table. Unfortunately, sometimes I am not offered a seat 
Or sometimes I am given a seat, but not given any food or made to feel that I should be grateful that I am allowed at the table. And I, I, when I read that, I thought, wow, this is powerful. And if there is an invisible demographic, a group of people who are most likely to be ignored to help shape the culture of the church, but even in, in the wider society, it is black women. I mean, I've personally, um, again, talking from a church context, I've experienced situations where I've only been considered for roles or tasks such as serving on the worship team or helping out with catering. And I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with those roles and those tasks, but it is sad to to notice um, the lack of leadership opportunities made available to black women. And this is why I was so thrilled when I saw Bishop Rose who was appointed as the Church of England's first ever female black bishop. And although it has taken such a long time to get there, um, but I was just thrilled because I believe that actually her senior leadership role in the Church of England will pave the way for other black women to help shape the culture of the church. But also we live in such a male dominated society. So when a woman reaches to the top, she will usually experience hostility, not just by men, but by other women too. Um, And having mainly worked in white majority churches, the culture and structures are set up by and for white male leaders, which means that black women like myself have extra barriers to overcome. And it's sad. And I I think that's important to talk about because one of the barriers I hear people of colour talking about is that you don't have often people to look up to, people who've already paved the way. And that means that either it feels like you couldn't make it or you're going to have to be the one that does that really hard task of pushing through to get to that place, which as a pioneer into something is always the most difficult. So I was just wondering, do you feel that being Black impacts your role as an evangelist? I should hope not, because evangelists should come in all colours, all creeds and all nationalities, because we are going out to the whole world. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 gives us the authority from Jesus, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. However, we will still have to consider where we go, whether we'll be made welcome and whether we can make a difference in that community there as black female evangelists. I feel different about this now that I'm in my 40s than I did when I was in my 20s, because reality shows me that no matter what I do, for some people, I am still a foreigner. Yeah, it's a very interesting question. And I was just thinking about my own experiences as a black young Uh, female evangelist and I think for me because again because I have experienced um, you know hostility from people so when I am engaging with people from a black Asian minority ethnic background um, I feel really drawn towards them because I sort of feel like I understand some of the experiences that they go through Um, so when I'm presenting the gospel presenting Jesus to them I try to do it from the lenses of those on the margins Um, but also I've also noticed, I remember when I went to Kosovo in 2015 and um, went to share a a gospel message and I I experienced lots lots of hostility and there were just barriers. People would just not interact with me. Some of the kids would call me kaka 
which means poo, poo face. Um, and it was a horrific, horrific experience. And yes, although, you know, we shouldn't, you know, because we are evangelists, you know, we, it should come in all colours, shades and sizes. But the reality is black people, especially, you know, for those who are evangelists, they do experience that hostility. So I think we could have this conversation and leave it here feeling a little bit sad about the state of the world, which I think we need to acknowledge, you know, that it's not how we want it to be. But I think that you guys both share with me a hope for change. And I think some of what's happened recently with people paying more attention to what's going on and the reality of racism is a really hopeful sign. And again, like you said at the start, Andrina, that thing of it being a movement, not a moment. Do you think it's important that the church engages with Black Lives Matter? I think I know what answer you're going to say. Like everyone who was ever born, we are all created in the image of God. And that's Genesis 1.27. And that's why Black Lives Matter is so important, regardless of what you look like. On the 8th of June, the Archbishop of Canterbury said in a video on Twitter, the racism that people in this country experience is horrifying. The church has failed here and still does. And it's clear what Jesus commands us to do, repent and take action. And later in June, the Church of England apologised with shame in the role of the church in the trade in human beings. Previous Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, says, to speak here of repentance and apology is not words alone. It is part of our witness to the gospel, to a world that needs to hear that the past must be faced and healed and cannot be ignored. We need the church to acknowledge there was a history, but we are called to love and serve people. And that's mm. what we should be doing. And I don't see those those comments as kind of depressing or sad ones. I actually see them as signs of hope because acknowledging where we've failed is a good step forward. It's not everything, but it is a good step forward. V, what about you? What do you feel on the church engaging with Black Lives Matter? Well, I want to start off by saying um, I was having a couple of conversations with people, um, Christians from different churches, and someone said, oh, I'm tired of hearing about racism. And then I responded by saying, well, imagine how tired people are of experiencing it. And absolutely, um, it's important that the church actively engages with, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. Because if we truly profess to be friends and followers of Jesus, then we must learn from our Lord Jesus, who opposed the um, racial distinctions. But also, um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the work that we do in Leicester Diocese, and um, which is really led by Lucerne and Sengun Ngoy, who's on the church army board, but he's also my line manager. So Lucerne, if you're listening to this, I'm giving you, um, just give me some brownie points. <laughs> but um, he is leading a major initiative to develop intercultural worshipping communities, which actively involves working alongside people of many different cultures and ethnicities. So it's really great to see Leicester Diocese taking the lead in this initiative. And it's my prayer that across the church, 
you know, people would be, have a passion and a hunger to start intercultural worshipping communities where people from different cultures, different backgrounds come together and intentionally learn from each other and go on that shared journey of discipleship. And something, another thing that I found really encouraging is actually seeing a lot of churches engage with this conversation for the first time publicly, which is needed. So yeah, I just think there's definitely feels like a bit of a shift. And I really hope that that is something that brings about real change for this nation, basically. Well, the world. Thank you so much to both of you, Andrina and V. It's been amazing hearing your experiences. It's so crucial to hear your voices. Um, But I do also just want to say that we don't just value you when we're talking about race. We value you because of your contribution to us as an organization, as Church Army, and all the other wonderful things that you are, and the way that you share your faith and represent Jesus in this world. We don't want to just engage with you two on topics of race, because that again is not okay. You have so much more to give than that. So we really do value both of you. Um, And I know that it's a vulnerable thing to talk about racism. Like you said, V, you're bringing up past trauma. So again, thank you so much for your bravery and willingness to do that. It's just been amazing just to hear you guys talk it's been both encouraging but also really shocking as well and I, I think I think the fact that it's it's shocking hearing it um, also displays where where there are where there are blind spots and I think when recent events kind of created this sudden awareness white people particularly had to deal with the fact that there are things that they haven't seen growing up and there's certainly no one I know who who would who would say I'm racist or I, or I have a prejudice. But I think when they start to look at where they've come from and the fact that they enjoy certain privileges that they haven't even realised, I think these conversations just create a good platform for looking at that and challenging that. Yeah. So for me, I've been learning about racism for a few years now. I know for some people who are white it is a totally new topic from this year basically and so I just kind of wanted to voice how I found it in terms of learning because it was uncomfortable there was a lot of things that I found really hard to hear and so I just want to acknowledge that when we engage with this topic of race it isn't a comfortable one but that's just because it's uncomfortable doesn't mean it isn't something we should do And I also know that probably throughout this podcast, chatting with V and Andrina, there's been a few phrases that some people might not be familiar with, like white privilege. And so if you don't know what these words mean, I would just really encourage you to have a Google and get some books, have a read. For me, that was really crucial to understand the history, understand concepts that I'd never looked into before. And this isn't the end of our conversation either. It's actually just the first part. The next episode is with Lusa, one of our board members, where Hannah talks to him about his spoken word poem, a response to George Floyd's death, his experience as a black man, and his hopes for the church. 
and this is a conversation we want to hear from you guys in the show notes after you will find where you can be in touch with us on instagram twitter facebook let us know what you're thinking how you're engaging if you've got anything to say because we really want to hear it